Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. This week, we're actually going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. You guys can start turning over there now, kind of get yourselves ready. Um, This is actually a a pretty famous chapter. Um, I have a piece of artwork I want to show you guys that was inspired by this chapter. Um, this is in this chapter. It's a, a story um, called Saul and the Witch of Endor. That's what it's typically titled. How many of you've heard this story? You guys heard? Raise have your hands you, if you're you, familiar with you it. You heard this story, some of you? Yeah. Very intriguing. Very interesting story. Yes. Yeah. Um, so essentially, this is inspired from this chapter. What you guys are looking at? That's a art piece that's found in the Louvre in France in the museum. There, it's very famous. Um, but um, another title for which, um, the thing we're going to read as we go through it together, um, is medium or necromancer. That's also the, the words that are, are used. How often synonym. do you use the word necromancer? More than you think. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, <laughs> rarely. <laughs> no. Uh, so, um, with that in mind, with this being about a witch and using what the... Um, actual scripture calls it. We titled today's message, A Small Medium at Large. That's going to be the title of the message today. It's punny. You guys need to enjoy it. A Small Medium at Large. large. The titles are the best part of this series. They are. They're very fun. Yes, they are. (laughs) Um, Really, um, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of direction and idea of what this is about. For those of you who might not be familiar, kind of give you a summary of what we're about to actually read, just so you kind of know what to expect as we continue through it, actually digging it apart. But um, what we're going to see here is a guy named King Saul. He's the king of Israel. And he's about to go to war with uh, the Philistines, a big army. And as he's about to go to war, he gets into a little bit of a problem. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to to prepare for, how to prepare, how to be ready, and he's looking for wisdom. He's trying to figure it out, but he has a little bit of a problem. Big problem, actually. Big problem. Samuel, the prophet, the guy who would normally deliver wisdom from God, is dead. Gone. Dead. Gone, yeah. So he can't consult with him, and so he does does what probably most of you do. He says, go find me a witch. We need to have a witch. Anybody do that in real life? No? Okay, yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. Saw one hand. So that's interesting. Um, no, I, so he consults and asks, hey, we got to find this witch. There's going to be a witch out there. Um, this medium is what he, the word he uses. Um, and I want you guys to go find her so that she can contact the dead spirit of Samuel. I want you guys to go, go find me somebody that can do that. So they do, and they find a witch or this medium found at a city called Endor. Anybody familiar with that, Endor? You know, the Star Wars right there, right? So I like to think he dressed up like a Jedi warrior, put on his robes, and was like, I'm going to go see some Ewoks, right? Like, that's what I think. That's not what he found. It's not what he found. Far from so it. he goes there. He does disguise himself because um, that city was really close to where his enemy was encamped. So he doesn't want to get found out. So he goes there in a disguise, and he meets with the, the witch there. And they have a weird conversation, but ultimately she agrees to do the job for him. She'll conjure up his spirit. And something crazy happens. Samuel's spirit actually shows up. He comes back. But it's not so happy for Saul 
Because Samuel is pretty ticked off. It wasn't good back. tidings of great joy like no, Christmas. No, it was not. No. It was very yeah. the opposite. Um, Samuel's ghost comes back, essentially, um, and tells him some really bad news, that he is on the enemy side of God, that he's about to die in the next 24 hours. And then that's what happens. Samuel leaves. His ghost goes away. Saul's freaking out. He falls down on the ground, basically having a panic attack. And he gets up. He has a meal with the witch, his, like, final meal, basically. And then from there, goes back to his battle where he will die. So that's kind of what we're going to look at. You kind of know what to expect as we go. But it's interesting. One of the reasons why we selected this is because, again, it's scriptures like these that people use very often to discredit the Bible. Um, Because when you think about it, there's kings, there's battles, there's armies, there's witches, there's ghosts. Sounds very fairy tale-ish. A lot of people will say that. It's just a fairy tale. It's just folklore. It's not real. How can you believe that? And honestly, for us as followers of Jesus, we believe in supernatural things. We believe that there is a God, so we don't think that that's necessarily far-fetched, that there can be witches, people interacting with demons and stuff. But even as as Christians, as we read stuff like this, it can present us with some challenges. Because when we read it, we say, whoa, I thought when you die, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now you have this witch conjuring up the spirit of a dead prophet. How does that work? So it presents us with some challenges as followers of Jesus. And for a lot of us, we'll just skip over it. We move on. It's, we don't think too much about it. But what we want to do is dig into this so we can actually understand deeper what is actually happening here. Look at the language. Look at the context. Look at other um, parts of the Bible, what it has to say, so we can figure this out and actually understand really what's actually going on. And honestly, I don't know about you, but what I discovered um, is that when you do dig it apart, um, a lot of the, the strange and the odd, once you peel that away, um, you realize, oh, actually, that's not even the point of why this is here. There's, there's a deeper thing going on here that you completely miss when you get distracted by that very strange moment with the ghost. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's how the enemy likes to work, too, is keep us fixated on the wrong things. And so we miss the bigger picture of what genuinely is happening in the story. Because when we were looking at this, it, it is very easy to be very fixated on the phrase or the witch or those types of those aspects of it. But isn't that how it kind of works in all kinds of different stories as well? Like we could get, like last week, we got very fixated on the bears killing the boys. Like how can that happen? But when you dig into it, you see the much bigger picture. You kind of see what is actually happening in the story. And and I think it is true. I th- I'm really excited about this text. And it is a chapter. It was a, a lot to take in. But um, it really, I think the overall message, though, is going to be a great one. I'm excited to share this with you. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it down into a couple chunks. It'll be easier to go through it that way. So we're going to read verses 3 through 7 right now, and then we'll stop and kind of dig that apart. So let's read it together. It says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put all of the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And the Philistines assembled, and they had came and encamped at Shunem, And Saul gathered all of Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. 
And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. All right. So kind of when we look at these couple of verses, the first thing we kind of need to know and understand is this is setting the foundation for us. It's giving us information that we need to understand and be able to have a deeper grasp on so that the rest of this stuff will make sense. So there's a couple things that we want to talk about and go a little deeper on, starting with who is Samuel? It's a little bit of his backstory. And then who is Saul? What's a little bit of his backstory? What do you think? Yeah, so I, I was looking up a little bit of uh, Samuel and looking at who this guy is. Of course, he's a prophet. Uh, we talked about that back when we were going through Jonah, and uh, we talked about it a little bit last week as well, but he's kind of the voice, the mouthpiece of God, and he has an interesting interaction with Saul. I mean, he's a prophet. Um, he's a, a guy that God would use to speak, and Saul, uh, early on being the king of Israel, he was, a, he was a guy who relied on Samuel. He trusted him. He listened to him very early on, but eventually Saul became very full of pride, and he didn't really want anything to do with Samuel. They kind of have a sort of a, a bad friendship breakup uh, a little bit later on in the chapter, or, or previous chapters, and um, so uh, they, they kind of had that little bit of argument, but really when things got tough for Saul, he relied often on what Samuel would say to him, and, and they had a unique relationship in that way. I don't know what else you found out about Samuel. Yeah, more or less exactly what you said. Samuel was a prophet, like Nate said. So he's like a messenger or a spokesman for the Lord. God would speak to him, and then he was responsible to deliver that message to the people and share with them, like, hey, this is what God said. This is what he wants you guys to do. Um, But interesting thing about Samuel is he was a prophet, but he was also a judge. Most prophets weren't both of those things. Um, A judge at this time was someone who governed. So he would go city to city and not only proclaim, hey, this is what God has for you guys, but then he was also responsible for enacting those things. So if people were breaking it, he was the one who would instill the consequences. If people were following it, he would say, hey, here's the rewards. If people didn't, weren't doing something, they wanted to change their ways, he would show them how to do that, get people back in line. So that's very unique about Samuel. And he was that both prophet and judge all the way up until the point where he anointed Saul king of Israel. So when he anoints Saul, Saul's the first king of Israel, the first one who'd be considered king, um, that kind of judge role or the one who's governing now transferred to Saul. Saul's supposed to do that. So now he will receive the different messages or the the spokesman of Samuel would come speak to him, say, this is what God wants you to do. And then Saul would say, okay, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to protect Israel. or I'm going to lead the people the way they're supposed to go. So that's really interesting because early on for Saul, he does pretty good. He actually starts off well. He's pretty humble as a leader. Um, He's pretty honoring to God. He's following in the right footsteps. He does a lot of things early on, like what we read, where he put the necromancers or the um, mediums out of the land. He did that because that was a specific, like, mandate that God had given. So he was obedient early on. But over time, he started taking a lot of liberties, and he started to hear what God would say through Samuel, And he would say, well, I'm going to do some of that. And he would be obedient to half of it and leave the other other half undone. And this kept leading him into trouble. And he would say, oh, I'm so sorry for doing that. I've definitely messed up. And then he would continue down the same path. He kept getting more and more comfortable with Samuel. 
and the things they would say. And he kept thinking, oh, well, I'm the king. I can make my own decisions. And you'd see this lack of respect between Saul and God and between Saul and Samuel that would just continually grow over the years. And what that would ultimately lead to is there's a final straw where Saul does not do what God asked him to do through Samuel. He doesn't obey fully. He gets back with Samuel after not obeying. And Samuel kind of like hits him with something he didn't want to hear. Um, In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel delivers a message of Saul's rejection as king. He says, you're not king anymore. Maybe in the eyes of the people, until you die, you are technically seen as the king. But in God's eyes, you're not the king anymore. God's not giving you his favor. He's not going to be walking with you anymore. And then after that, Samuel would go and anoint David as king, which would create lots of controversy because now Saul, continuing in his disobedience, would be extremely jealous of David because David now has the favor of the Lord on him ultimately, even though he wasn't acting as king just yet. So that's kind of what goes on there. And it's interesting, um, 1 Samuel 16 actually says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So that's why, in what we read together just now, that's the reason why when he's inquiring of the Lord through dreams, through the Urim, through um, whatever prophets may have still been there, he's getting nothing because the Lord's departed. He's not the guy anymore. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because even Saul at this point has been fighting kind of the wrong battles as well. Like a lot of those things I, I found, and really that's kind of the theme as well. Saul kind of had a good start, but he had a terrible finish. And, um, you know, and Saul is fighting the wrong battles. Um, and I think that's very applicable to us even as believers. How often are we fighting the wrong battles? Saul's fighting David, who is not his enemy, but he's treating him like the enemy. And I think for us as believers, we often fight with ourselves and argue, and that's the wrong battles. There's an enemy coming in that we should be fighting against, and that's Saul. And so he had a good start, but a terrible finish. And, and he's seeking the Lord. He's looking for that. And, and he's not having any dreams which it is interesting because in verse six, it talks about in the Old Testament, how God would speak to um, the people then. And, and through dreams, uh, God is not using those dreams at all. And then there's Urim. I think I'm saying that correctly. I think I've been, right. I've been struggling this whole week with it. It's kind of like Vol. Everybody here says Clark's Vol, you know, and I, I say Clarksville. So I think it's kind of the same thing. But, um, but, but Urim, Urim is uh, the Old Testament equivalent of kind of the magic eight ball. Uh, it was uh, something except that it was more supernaturally guided. Uh, so basically what it is is that a priest would have two rocks and on one side would say yes and on the other side would say no. And they would roll these rocks and God would use these with the priest and uh, God would speak through these rocks. And so if it was a yes, yes, that meant you better go and do it. If it was a no, no, it was like, no, no, you shouldn't go do that. And then if it was a yes, no, or a no, yes, then it was like, yeah, God's not really speaking much on this. There's, there's no direction given by God. And so here's Saul. He's probably having the priest do this, looking for God to communicate. And it's like when you would shake the magic eight ball and say, ask again later. Like, it just wasn't happening. That's kind of what God's doing there. He's like, well, why don't you ask again later? Ask again later. And so God was supernaturally not giving him any answers. He wasn't listening to the prophets. And you might think, well, can I pick up a pair of these rocks so that either myself or AJ can roll these rocks. You can have an answer from the Lord. This is an Old Testament thing. In the New Testament, we don't use the rocks that say yes and no. God speaks to us uh, through prayer 
He can speak through dreams as well, but uh, primarily also he speaks to us in his word. And so that's how uh, that's going on. But God had completely cut lines off with Saul because of Saul's disobedience. Exactly. So because of that, that's why he begins to turn to the mediums or the necromancers. And that's kind of the other thing we need to have a little bit more of an understanding on. Um, it's important to know what they do and how they do it, because that, that plays into what's going to happen after this. So all of these mediums and necromancers or the witches and, and wizards or whatever you want to call them, they had been banished from the land by Saul previously. At some point in his life, he did that. That was a good move because that's exactly what God's word said to do. Um, If you go back, there's express commands that say you're to have nothing to do with these people. Um, And even that they are to be put to death um, for those, the people who remain, who refuse to leave, and that the people of Israel have nothing to do with them. And the reason is because people who claimed to be mediums, um, they were doing that through demonic forces, Um, What they are doing, they're claiming to be a channel um, to other spirits. So either they are possessed by a demon, or they are in a close relationship with some kind of spiritual entity, which is not of God. Um, it's, It's demonic. And they're saying, hey, I can communicate, that's what they believed, with the dead. So people who have died, I can connect you with them through what I'm doing. And it's, that was demonic. That's what they're doing. These are typically very pagan people. They believed in other gods, followed other gods. Now, like I said, Saul had banished them. So he's in this weird spot because he's not hearing from God. So he starts to grasp at straws and he comes up with, well, let's find a medium then. Let's find a witch and let's talk to her and then we'll get in contact with, with Samuel through, through that means. So not a smart move, um, but that's what we're going to read in the next couple of verses. Actually, if you would like to read yeah, it, sure. verses 8 through 13. 13 or 14? Or 14, 14, sorry. 14, okay. Yep. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to a woman by night. And he said, divine for me, buy a spirit and bring up from me whom, whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wearing a robe He's wrapped in a robe and Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, When you read that, it seems like that witch just conjured up the spirit of Samuel. Seems like it just happened. She did it. Now, again, that, that presents a lot of challenges to us. So we have to dig into what's happening there deeper. And actually the key to understanding why this just happened. How did she do that? How is this taking place? The key to understanding that, I believe, is actually in verse 10. So let's read that one more time. It says, uh, But Saul swore to her by the Lord, 
As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. That little phrase right there is very important. That sets what's going to happen next. Because um, to swear, that word doesn't just mean it's not very flippant. That is an oath or a promise. And she didn't ju- or he didn't just make a promise to the witch just generally. He said that he's making this promise in the name of the Lord. When The way that Lord is phrased there, it's specifically God's actual name. So Yahweh saying, I swear to you, I promise to you in the name of Yahweh, no consequence or no punishment is going to happen to you. There's a whole bunch of problems there. Saul is completely wrong in saying that in in every capacity for multiple reasons. So first of all, I want to read this for you guys. You're not supposed to make oaths like this. Um, That is an express command of God. This is Leviticus 19 verse 12. It says, you shall not swear by my name falsely or fraudulently and so profane or make a mockery of the name of your God. I am the Lord. So what Saul is saying right now, he is the king in people's eyes, not, in, not under God anymore, but in the people's eyes, he holds that authority. So when he's saying this, making this oath, he is, it's a pretty big deal. Um, then it goes on after that. Um, what he said is that, hey, there's not going to be any consequences. What he's saying, there's not going to be, for what you do, there's not going to be any repercussions for it. Don't worry about it. This is a promise in the Lord's name, in God's reputation, everything's going to be okay when you do this. Can't make that promise either. Because in Deuteronomy 18, and a little bit later um, in Leviticus 19, kind of where we just read, there's the express commands that God gives that necromancers and mediums or witches are to be banished from the land. The people are to have nothing to do with them because of what they're doing. And also, those people are, are to be put to death. They're deserving of death and judgment. What they're doing is very, very bad. So when Saul says this, hey, I promise in the name of Yahweh, everything's going to be fine. You can't make that promise. So really, I believe what happens here is because Saul made this promise as king, God would ultimately, if, it, if this was held up, God would then be made complicit in a sinful act. That can't happen. God is a holy, righteous God. Everything he does is perfect and set apart. There is no evil or wrong in him. So if this were to go forward and this lady were to do this and something were to happen, that would then make God be ultimately saying, hey, it's okay. I have to abide by that. So it's, it's kind of this weird moment. And I believe that God sees this and says, nope, not on my watch. We're going to be doing things differently. This can't, can't occur. So this witch begins to do what she would normally do, and it says some interesting stuff. Samuel does start to come out, but I don't believe by her power because it says that she cries out. Yeah, which, which to me was something very interesting with that. Like her response is uh, just a, a scream there. And, and I started looking into a little bit of that, and, and a lot of people have different theories like, well, what is that? Did she really scream? Like why would she do that? And, and some people have said, well, one of the reasons why she might have screamed is because um, she's uh, never really summons the dead before. Dead people have never really showed up. 
So she would get in there and she would kind of pretend or hear them say some things or do some things. She kind of would make up the whole thing. But I don't think that's the case. I believe this is really what's happening. And this is what a lot of people do believe is that whatever she expected to bring up, she didn't expect to bring up Samuel. Maybe she was used to communicating with certain evil spirits who pretended to be the spirit of a dead person. But when she sees Samuel actually coming up from the dead, she just wants to scream at the top of her lungs, which is interesting because, again, she's a pagan woman. And so the language that she uses, she says there's a God coming out. I think if she's seen dead people, which is a sixth sense reference to everybody there, right? Like, I think if she's truly seeing dead people, she's not going to describe them as a God coming out. I do believe, like what AJ's saying, is that she has not seen this before, and that's freaking her out. And, and even some of the language that she's using even adds more emphasis to that. And, and Saul is just kind of like looking at her going, well, what, what do you see? What's going on there? And she's describing it. And then she talks about the robes, which is interesting because that is a, a tie into who Samuel is. But um, I believe that she just, um, this was something she did not expect to see. And I do believe that it was Samuel. And that's what freaked her out with the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think very similar. I think the reason why she freaks out, the, the word for cried out right there actually means to cry for help. So she's like panicking right now. This is not a normal occurrence for her. I think that's because in this moment, she started to do what she was going to normally do, what she'd be accustomed to doing. But God steps in instead, and what she's experiencing is completely out of her control, and it's vastly more powerful than anything she's ever experienced in the past. So she's like panicking and and freaking out now. That's what I think is going on and why she's behaving the way that she is. And I think that that when he when it says that she saw an old man coming up, that's would have been like a good sign. Oh yeah, that is actually Samuel. I think what you're seeing is something very similar to what we read about in the New Testament um, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and you see Moses and Elijah show up there. God sends them down and they interact. I think it's very similar and it's very the same way. It doesn't happen often. It's not like a common thing. This isn't an everyday occurrence, but God does see purpose and see fit to do this every so often for very specific reason. I think that's what you're seeing, a very similar, almost like a transfiguration of Samuel in this moment in order to deliver this message. So that's kind of what goes on there. And then it goes on. We'll, we'll keep on reading. Got to turn back to where I was. Um, verses 15 through 20 says, And then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, and he's given it to your neighbor David." Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give you also with, he will give you as well as Israel also with over to the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. And the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. And then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear. 
because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. So things kind of wrap up here. Th- things with Saul do not go the way that he was hoping. Um, it's it's kind of he- very heavy. Um, Samuel comes up. He says, why have you disturbed me? Why have you brought me here? Why did you want to talk to me? He says that to him, and then Saul shares. This is the reason why I'm in great distress. That word distress actually means to bind or to tie up. He's basically saying, I'm in a rock and a hard place right here. I got nowhere to go. I'm bound up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And all he knows is, well, in the past, when I was in a place like this, I would come talk to you, and you'd give me the answer, and then I'd go do that, and then we'd win. So he wants Samuel to give him that information again. But he also mentions, hey, but, you know, I can't get any info because God has turned away from me. Saul recognizes that he's in a spot of judgment. He hasn't heard from the Lord. And what he says is, I want you to tell me what I shall do. Bail me out, man. Well, then Samuel says to him, Saul, do you not remember the last time that we spoke? Do you know what occurred? He says, the Lord is doing as he spoke to you through me. Now, I want you guys to hear exactly what Samuel spoke to him. It's in First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 through 23, we'll start with. But this is the moment when Samuel was still alive that Saul is being rejected as king because of his disobedience. It says some very interesting stuff. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burning offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifices, and to listen to the Lord is better than the fat of rams. And then this is interesting here. It says, For rebellion is equal to the sin of divination. And then, And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And then if you skip up to verse 27 and 28, it says, As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's a very hard thing to happen. That's a very harsh statement. That's the last time that Samuel really interacted with Saul is from that message. So now it's, it's probably around 10 years after that, actually, um, since that conversation was had. And now you have Saul still continuing in the same rebellion, still pursuing David, jealousy raging in his heart, still doing the stuff he shouldn't do, now engaging in witchcraft, in this act of engaging with the mediums, div- divining someone is what he's seeking to do. And Samuel's like, what are you doing? You know what's happening in this place. You are being judged. The Lord's not with you anymore. So it's very interesting. Saul had never changed. Saul is receiving his judgment in full that he was told all those years ago. He's receiving exactly what God told him. That judgment still holds true. So this is where the story ends. In 24 hours after this, what we just read there in 1 Samuel 28, Saul's going to be killed. He's going to go to war, and he's going to die in that battle, him and all of his sons, just like what um, Samuel had proclaimed. So when we read something like that, 
We kind of understand, okay, that's why. It's not, it's not the witch summoning up and conjuring the ghost of Samuel. It's God stepping in, intervening, sending this, this spirit of Samuel to speak, to confirm the message that was already given. We get all that, but how do we apply it? How do we actually yeah. take this and, oh, what, do I miss, what am I supposed to do with this in my yeah, life? Yeah, because it is, it is a strange story. And I, I did tell AJ this last week. I said, at some point, I would like to really do this as a message in the future because there's just a ton of application here. And I think that when you kind of get past the strange part of it, there is a lot there for us. But um, for me, the biggest takeaway was this. And, and it's something that I had mentioned before, which was that Saul had a good start, but he had a terrible finish. And here's what I mean by that. At one time, Saul had faith and trust in God, but over time, he let pride, fear, power, other things kind of come into his heart and fill his heart. Saul was living a life of disobedience toward God, and it finally kind of caught up to him. Now, again, when you work past the strange parts of this story, I think what this story ultimately is teaching us and showing us and what this is a reminder of is repentance, And I don't think Saul knew how to repent. Saul looked like he had repented all through his life. I mean, he said he was sorry, he would weep, he did religious things, but he really never repented. He just kind of went through the motions. And here's the tragic part about Saul. Here's what I believe. I think he thought he did repent. And I think this should scare us a little bit, or at least if nothing else, wake us up. Because just because you come to church doesn't mean that you worship God. Just because you bow your head in prayer doesn't mean you're praying to God. Just because you open up God's word doesn't mean that you are listening to God. In fact, later on in 1 Chronicles, it mentions this story. In 1 Chronicles 10, it says, So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command and even consulted a medium. Saul went through the motions of repentance. He would confess, he would pray, he would do religious activities. But in reality, when those things didn't work, didn't seem like they work. He went back to his old ways. He never dealt with the real issue. He didn't trust in God to fully surrender to him. He didn't value God to ever be fully satisfied in him. He trusted in himself and he trusted in other things instead of God. And I don't think he ever repented. And here's the question for us today with the story that we need to wrestle with is, do you know how to repent? Because sometimes I think we go, well, yeah, 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 I've repented But I don't think that we really have. Sometimes I think what we call repentance is we just blame shift or we we rationalize our behavior. We go, well, yeah, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but you don't understand the hand I've been dealt in this life. My life has been rough. My life's been tough. So that justifies my selfishness. My marriage is really bad. So that's why I can have this bad attitude. And so what we do is we, we try to rationalize or, or shift blame because of that. And so what we've done is we, are, we have this unchanged behavior instead of repent and take action to change. See, our mouths might say that we believe in Jesus, but does our life reflect that? Does our life show that we do truly believe in Jesus? If you want to know, if you're sitting here today and you're like, well, how do I know if I'm truly repentant, if I have repented? Well, it's pretty simple. You just look at your life. If there is no change, there is no Jesus. Real repentance is not shown in an emotional cleansing, but in life change. Now, hear me when I say that. We still make mistakes. We still fall into sin. We still do things that we shouldn't do. 
But are we just kind of confessing it and it's just kind of blame shifting or rationalizing it? Or are we truly repenting and trying to take some action to change that in our life? Because we need to have a godly sorrow. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I think what we're seeing from Saul here is he had worldly sorrow. What does worldly sorrow look like? It looks like I've been caught. I feel a little guilty, maybe shame or self-pity. That's not repentance towards God. That does not lead to salvation. Confession is not repentance. Just because you confess your sins does not mean that you have repented of your sins. You might just be getting something off of your chest. But godly sorrow is a sorrow about what your sin has done to God, how wicked it was. And then there is a change in behavior. See, godly sorrow results in a change of attitude towards God and a permanent change in life. So don't measure godly sorrow by the strength of an emotion, but by the effect of change. See, repentance uh, that will not change you in this life won't change you in death either. And I believe that this story that we're reading here, that we've just looked into, is the culmination, really the climax of the fact that Saul never really repented. And he's now going to face the consequences of that, that, that lack of repentance and his disobedience. So Saul didn't know how to repent. But the question, I think, the application for us today is, do we know how to repent? I'm muted, sorry. (laughs) I agree 100% with what you're saying. And I think that I have a couple things very similar right in the same direction. But I think Saul's life should be a warning to us that disobedience has consequences. Now, we like to say that we know that. But the reality is for a lot of us, we like to shrug off those consequences and we like to maybe acknowledge the eternal consequence of, oh yeah, sin is going to separate you from God. You're not going to be in heaven, but, but I repented, so I asked Jesus into my heart, so that means I get to be saved. But the reality is disobedience has consequences right here, right now, today. Things that you're going to feel when you pursue sinful behavior. You're going to see those, those things happen. Now, sin has destructive effects. And just like in Saul's life, where his sin affected his life, it also affected his son's lives. They all died on that battlefield. It affected the whole of the people of Israel. Our sin also has consequences. Now, we have forgiveness in Jesus, but that doesn't mean that the destructiveness that sin produces doesn't take place anymore if we choose to engage in it. So we have to remember that, that a choice to disobey is ultimately a choice to depart from God's presence and from God's power in your life. I read an interesting quote. Um, It said, God never departs from a man until the man has departed from him. So if we want to stay in God's presence, if we want to continue to pursue him, we got to do like what Nate's saying, make sure our repentance is real, that there's a behavior shift. When we, when we do things wrong, we go back the right direction and actually pursue God and live differently. And that we can be confident in that, okay, God's not departed from me, but if we continually choose to not obey, continue just to go down the same paths, we can expect that at a certain point, because we've departed from God, that he'll return the favor. And he'll say, okay, then you can live in the judgment that you want. So that's the first thing I learned. 
The second thing is really the biggest one. I think it ties really well to what you were just saying. Um, It's a strong foundation doesn't guarantee a strong future. Saul started off really well. Like what we talked about, he was on the right path. He was honoring God. He was doing good stuff. He was a pretty good king. But then over time, that foundation, that strong foundation that he had crumbled because of his own choices. Now, the same goes for us. A lot of us may have grown up with a strong foundation. We may be grown up in church. We went to church our whole lives. We know the Bible. We've been around other believers our whole lives. Um, for some of us, we might have come to Jesus, know Jesus a little later in life, but we pursued his word. We, we studied it. We know a lot about the Bible. We started off with a pretty strong foundation. But what we find ourselves doing is continuing to slide backwards into old things. We find ourselves kind of ditching that strong foundation. And what we see is that that's not going to lead to a strong future, just like it did for Saul. There was consequences and judgment. So we have to make the active decision to remain committed throughout our whole lives. Just because you were committed when you were a kid, that doesn't mean you're committed now. Just because you went to church often and it mattered to you what you're doing as a child or as you were a teenager doesn't mean that it's going to matter to you today. You have to remain committed to it. It's got to be a serious decision. And then also from Saul's life, when we look at this kind of situation that went on with him, God's commands are to be taken in full. Half obedience is disobedience. Just because you did half of what God said doesn't mean that he's honored. Like you have to do the whole thing. So we have to understand all throughout our lives, we're going to be continually changed. The Lord's going to work in our heart and reveal things to us and say, hey, you need to get, get some things in line and in order over here. You need to make some changes. God's going to work with us in those things, but we have to remain committed to it and do it wholeheartedly, not just half-heartedly. So ultimately, when we understand that, that means that we are constantly pursuing growth in Jesus. It matters to us. And that reminded me of Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, where Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Each of us, each of us should understand that we have to be constantly looking at our salvation, our faith, and we need to be working that out with fear and trembling. Am I actually pursuing Jesus? Do I actually know what God has called me to do in this situation? Do I actually care about being obedient in all aspects of my life? That's what it looks like to work out our faith with fear and trembling. And when we do that, then we're going to pursue those good things that God has for us. And I think that ties exactly what you're saying. That's what happens when we live lives in repentance. Not fake repentance, not emotional repentance, but real repentance. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.